coming up. 30, 40 years later, they think, you know, what would she have done? She'd be in her, you know, 50s or 60s. And, and you know, what would her adult life have looked like? And I think they sort of felt like that was stolen from them. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Pamela Kahanes grew up on her family's farm, just outside Stillwater, Minnesota. Into her early 20s, she stuck around the area, working for a publishing company in the city, in St. Paul, about 20 minutes away from the family farm. But after spending the first two and a half decades of her life in Minnesota, Kahanes decides she wants to try somewhere else, to seek out new experiences. So she signs up to join the Navy. The 25-year-old wanted to see more of the world. And she thought by joining the Navy, she would possibly be able to do this. Kahane says goodbye to her family, to her seven brothers and sisters in Minnesota, and heads down to Florida for boot camp in Orlando. It's only about two months later that her family learns Pamela won't be coming back home. A driver found her body in the lawn of an empty house, a half hour north of the training base in Orlando. Danny Spiewak, reporter with Care 11 in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks for being here virtually. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. It's uh, it's always good to talk to a fellow Minnesotan. I feel like my Minnesota accent is a little stronger when I'm talking to someone else up there. So apologies in advance to our listeners if I start saying you betcha or oofta or anything like that. That is okay. You can do it for both of us because I'm a transplant. So I'm picking it up as I go, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, goal. So maybe, I, you know, maybe I'm just kind of acclimating myself with it. So it's okay. There we go. So the case that we're going to be getting into uh, is, of course, a case involving a woman from Minnesota uh, that her family finally saw some resolution two years ago. But it actually starts with someone finding a body all the way down in Florida, right? Yeah, and, and a, a naval training base in Orlando. So uh, Pam Kahanis uh, was one of eight siblings, uh, grew up on a farm in Minnesota, very tight-knit family. Um, and, uh, you know, she she decides in the, the early to mid-80s that, uh, you know, she's in her 20s and she she wants a different experience and she wants to move uh, to, to Florida uh, to, to join the Navy and, and train down there. Um, so her family was a little caught off guard, but, but totally supported her decision and, and thought it was a great thing for her to do. And um, she wasn't down there very long um, when uh, the family got a call that uh, she was killed. And she was found uh, like about a half hour outside of Orlando. The base was in Orlando. Um, and it was just a complete mystery. The family had no idea why anybody would do this. Um, it, it didn't appear that there were, were any disagreements that she had with anybody or any enemies or, or anybody that would, would have the motive to do this. So the years passed and passed and decades went by. And uh, there wasn't a resolution until very recently, as you mentioned, when they, they got a call last uh, winter, um, basically saying that they, they had got the suspect and uh, it was someone that had, had been on the base with her. It was really a, a really fast chain of events that the family was uh, within one day. Um, all of a sudden, they were told the case was solved. Wow. And one of the details that, that stuck out to me in your reporting regarding her decision to join the Navy is that she did that because... She just she wanted to get out and see the world. She wanted to experience different things. She was young. She was 25 years old. And it's just so heartbreaking that her life was cut short right when she was on the brink of doing all that, right after she'd gone down there to report for boot camp. Yeah, yeah. If you think about just the, the crossroads of life she was at and um, you think about the amazing future she would have had, um, whatever she had decided to do. And and I think it was really, that was really eye-opening for me because the, the way this story came about was, 
was we we did the story the very day that the family found out that a suspect had been arrested, um, Thomas Garner um, in Florida, who had been working as a dental hygienist for years. The family had never heard the name. Um, what they the way they described it was that all of a sudden uh, the detective called and said, "I want to fly in um, right now, you know, to Minnesota to, to discuss the case with you." And within hours, they were told that the they actually were played a video of him being arrested. Um, and the way the the investigators described it was that they had used one of those public genealogy databases um, that had found a distant relative that matched the the DNA to this suspect. And so I know in in um, Basically, in subsequent reporting from some of our partner stations down there, um, NBC stations, that sort of thing, the the suspect has denied any involvement and has said he he has no idea why he's being connected to this. But uh, but prosecutors say that the DNA doesn't lie and that it was his DNA that that proves that um, that he was the one that um, that killed Pam Kahanis. But but there's no, really no motive being established other than that he he did work on the base at the same time. Um, so still a lot of unanswered questions. But but the family. Uh, it was a whirlwind for them when they found out. And you mentioned how how little the family knew and investigators knew prior to this arrest in 2019. Tell me about the early days of this investigation. Were there any you know leads that investigators were looking into? Did they have a- any suspicions early on? It was hard to tell what kind of who or what they were focusing on in the beginning. I know I was told at one point the the family said in our interview that that they had there was a major break that supposedly had happened um, midway through the investigation, and that turned out to be false. And the family really was deflated by that 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 they they had felt getting so close to to getting closure and then to have it stripped away from them, and they didn't give a lot of details on what that break was, um, but it was kind of a false hope sort of thing, and so they. They 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 never gave up, but they they always knew it was a, a difficult case just because there wasn't a lot of evidence. There there weren't a lot of suspects, and and it wasn't until 2019 that that finally that that the, the new technology, you know, the the ability. You've seen this with a lot of cases. I'm sure many of the other cases you're looking at, you know, you've seen similar things where um, these DNA banks are are helping them uh, connect some of these cases. Yeah, yeah, we really are seeing so many cold cases being solved using these DNA family trees after in cases like this, decades. And and I'm sure that gives a lot of hope to other family members of victims out there who are still waiting on answers whose cases haven't been solved. Is that something that you've heard with this case or with other cases that you've covered that have gone on for a long time? Yeah, we've, we I've covered, I would say, probably at least three cases in Minnesota where it was some sort of one of those DNA banks um, or DNA sites. There was actually a case that's still ongoing here in Minnesota where the suspect himself had actually put in his DNA like as an ancestry type thing. And they didn't even need to get a relative. They had his own DNA that hmm. solved the crime. So, so yeah. And, and I know that the, that big case out in California with the serial killer in California, um, that, um, the name escapes me right now, but, but that was a, a similar thing where, you know, the DNA, um, uh, you know, DNA sites and genealogy banks are coming into play. So, so yeah, we see that a lot. And I think it does give families some hope that there, you know, maybe new breaks and based on the new technology. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you talked to some of Pamela Kahanis's brothers and sisters in 2019 about what it was like to go such a long time, over three decades without answers. And I'm going to play a clip for our listeners from the story that you did of them talking about that. And many times I would think, you know, okay, if I say a prayer and I lay here still tonight, I'll be directed to what happened to her. And it just never comes. 20 years went by, 30 years go by. I didn't think they'd solve it. So, Danny, it sounds like this not knowing 
who did this, it really wasn't something that ever went away for this family, that it, it stuck with them for that entire three plus decades. Yeah, it really did. And um, I know a lot of times, you know, when you, when you interview families that have lost somebody so long ago, um, they, they oftentimes talk a little bit about, you know, that the, the their sibling when she died was in her 20s, but they think about, you know, they always think of her as that age, but, you know, 30, 40 years later, they think, you know, would would she, you know, what would she have done? She'd be in her, you know, 50s or 60s and, and you know, what would her adult life have looked like? And I think there was a lot of that. They sort of felt like that was stolen from them. Um, and I, I just remember... Um, you know, the family was so close and tight knit that this was something that was always on their minds. And they'd said, you know, you do, you do maybe not move on with life, but you, you carry on and it just, but it just never goes away. And, um, you know, a couple of siblings had moved out of state, but many of the, a lot of the family was still in Minnesota. Um, and, and one of the siblings owns a, a greenhouse um, on highway 36 in the East Metro East of the Twin Cities. Um, when this case was solved, they put up a big murder-solved billboard for everybody to see. I think it was definitely something that in the community um, uh, that uh, that people were, were desperate to see for a long time. Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm a, a Minnesotan. I'm actually from the Stillwater area, so I know mm-hmm. the exact billboard that you're talking about. It's it's kind sure. of a landmark. I'm sure everyone who who lives in the Stillwater area knows the Sun Country Farm sign. Yeah, uh, sure. And mm-hmm. I can just imagine how big of a relief it was for the family to be able to to announce that to the community. Yeah, that's so interesting that you obviously being from the area and, and knowing that so well because and that's interesting for me to hear too because as a um you know relative newcomer to Minnesota I, I got here two and a half years ago um to I, I am not as familiar with you know sort of like like would people know that billboard would they know that that greenhouse and that's so interesting that um that really they I knew they were a pillar of the community but to hear it from someone who who grew up there um it makes it even more uh, special I think just the family having a little bit of closure. But of course, yeah, it was such a tough time for them for so long. And uh, yeah, the, the case isn't over yet, you know, so of course, um, you know, you you uh, you have to keep on with the developments, but I think having some answers for them has helped, um, you know, so far. Yeah, yeah. And I have uh, another clip to play of them, uh, the family members reacting to the news of Thomas Garner's arrest, and I'll, I'll roll that right now. We haven't had her for 34 years. So for him, 34 years without, something would be great for me. I just... Figured she wouldn't lay rest until we caught the one that did it. And I'm so happy that came today. I hope she's looking down saying, good, got him, good. I, I, great day, great day. So where exactly does this case stand right now? I mean, the family, they got, you know, some of the answers they were looking for. There's been an arrest, but I understand that um, the suspect, Thomas Garner, he, he hasn't gone on trial yet, right? I don't believe so. No. Um, so the only thing I have seen, um, maybe worth a follow-up story here at some point. Um, but, um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the most I've seen is that, uh, him and his uh, attorney have denied any involvement. And, uh, he had, he had, he had said in, in one interview that I read that he felt like he was in the twilight zone, that he, he said he didn't have any recollection of this, um, and doesn't know how he's connected to the case. But, but, um, you know, as I mentioned before, the prosecutors say they've got the DNA. So, um, that'll, that'll kind of be the crux of the case. Um, and, and yeah, there, there was an, an item that they, and the police wouldn't tell us this, but they had um, plucked an item out of the trash can at his apartment complex, if I'm recalling correctly, um, but wouldn't say what it was. Um, and, and that's how they basically matched uh, matched the DNA. So for now, it seems like the, the big question that's still hanging out there is if this guy, you know, if he ends up being convicted, why, why would he have done this? What, what the motive might be, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that has never been answered. And, and, 
And that was the thing that was so striking to me too, because, you know, when you, and having covered a fair share of cold cases, there are, there are some cases, and I would say maybe even more often than not, the family has some idea of somebody that they think might have done it. And in cases where there's an arrest, you know, sometimes it's a, a situation where the family says, you know, we, we had an inkling or we felt there was some evidence there. Um, but with this case, they had never heard of him. It was a name that they said just didn't ring a bell. They had no recollection of hearing this name. Um, and to find out that he was the person now being arrested for their sibling's murder was a, just a shock um, for them because it, it, there was no indication that this, that, you know, this person was on anyone's radar. We'll be uh, keeping an eye on this as, this as this goes to trial, as it moves forward. Danny Spivak with CARE 11, thank you so much for taking the time to share this. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. You can help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing to the show wherever you listen to it. And don't be shy. Come chat with us and with thousands of other true crime fans in our Facebook group, Inside the Crime Vault. It's a great place to discuss every case we cover here on The Daily Crime and any other cases you want to talk about. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. 